Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 8.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. great diversity of our congregation, our family of faith, it's obvious that we represent a multitude of Christendom here. Not only do we have people who were born, baptized, raised, and confirmed, and probably married in the Methodist Church, but we do have a lot of people who have, through current life circumstances, traveled all over, encountered many different denominations and churches within the Christian family. And so it's only appropriate that we explore together here and now what makes Methodism so great? What makes this church worth fighting for, living in, being committed to it, its missions and its ministries? Why bother? Is Methodism just like everything else? And the answer is no, it is not. Our church is first and foremost founded upon Jesus Christ. And while all of our brethren in Christendom would say the same thing, what really starts to distinguish us are the sacraments. And in our church, a sacrament is a tangible sign of God's grace. It is an outward and visible and sometimes tasteable sign of an inward grace. And what really we celebrate with great joy is that our sacraments are for everyone. They are not kept for only those of a certain age or a certain membership status. Our sacraments, God's grace, are for anyone who wants them. I greatly appreciate being liberated from having to tell anyone, no, I'm sorry, I can't do that for you. Instead, the church has empowered me to say, of course I will baptize your child. Of course we will give you communion. There is no reason why I have to build a barrier or close a gate on anyone because of our theology here. And so why do we have two sacraments? Other churches have more. But in the United Methodist Church, we have two because as you heard from today's scriptures, both of them are in the Bible. Jesus participated in them and ordained that we should continue them and modeled them for us. And so we have them. Baptism and Holy Communion. Today, we will be partaking in Holy Communion. Last week at this worship service, we baptized a young child. And Audrey, God love Audrey, Audrey has been making me work for every smile. She doesn't give them to me easily. She's keeping me humble. I appreciate that. And as Audrey was here last week, she reminded us not only of the fact that baptism is freely given to her who has not yet begun to sin, but that baptism is an occasion when the divine collides with the ordinary of humankind. That here something extraordinary can happen in the midst of what might seem to be very ordinary and very plain. Water. Water is pretty plentiful. Now, it has varying degrees of purity and cleanliness and whether or not you'd want to drink it. But in this country, we are blessed to have water so readily available. And so God has taken something so easily accessible 
and used it to transfer not only grace, but even God's power and presence. And so as we brought our baptismal font out last week and we blessed the water, making it holy within it, and I took little Audrey and I applied the water to her head three times, one for each person of the Trinity, then it came time for me to lay hands on Audrey. And after applying water in the United Methodist Church, we complete what we not only see with Jesus, but what's in the book of Acts, the laying of hands and the receiving of a portion of the Holy Spirit. So that long after that water dried off of her and her beautiful baptismal gown, the presence and the power of God's Spirit would be within her and manifest through her. And as I laid my hand on her chest, Audrey did something very natural for young children of her age. She leaned down and started sucking on my finger. <laughs> now that's not exactly the holy moment we all pray for. And while it certainly brought a smile to my face, I had to stop and go, she's sucking the holy water off of my finger. And that's wonderful. That's incredible. I don't know why it hadn't occurred to me before to drink the holy water. Why just have it on the outside? Why not have it on the inside too? Audrey's going places. Y'all need to watch out for her. <laughs> and so Audrey was reminding us that in that moment, I mean, how many of you have ever held a baby and the baby starts teething on your finger? <laughs> Common occurrence. Doesn't often happen in the middle of a worship service and a sacrament while I'm covered in holy water, but that's because Audrey is a perfectly normal, acceptable human being. And so she did something that some would call irreverent. I think she did something I would call natural. And Audrey was showing us that even in the midst of our ordinary lives, God comes crashing in and leaves us with these moments of awe and wonder and gratitude. Baptism is something that is powerful and transformative. It doesn't matter what age we are when we are baptized. I don't remember my baptism. I was baptized as an infant. But I do remember learning that at that same time, I received a portion of the Holy Spirit, and I have celebrated ever since I became aware of that fact that not one day has gone by since my baptism that God has not been present with me and at work in me. I love that truth that we can give that to children like Audrey, that we can do that for other people. But there is also something powerful and profound about someone of age and reason being able to say, I choose this. And so at my last church, a 68-year-old man decided he wanted to be baptized. And that really got us excited because it's not very often that you see that anymore. And he decided that he wanted to be baptized in our newest, most modern post-contemporary worship service where we gathered in the fellowship hall and sat at tables and people sat at half moons behind the tables and they could eat and drink coffee and do all of these very ordinary things in the midst of the holy and he decided that it was there that he wanted to be baptized the first baptism ever in that service and so we decided that it should be very participatory as the worship service was and we created an incredible moment we thought we were creating it for him. Little did we realize that God had been creating it for us. It came to us that we would do for him what all of us at some point might wonder what might it have been like for us. 
And so as people gathered that morning for worship and they sat at their seats, they came in to discover all of these clear cups filled halfway with water. And our baptismal font was a large, clear vessel that was empty. And we let them know that as we started the worship service, we wanted to start it in prayer. We wanted them to hold those vessels and lay their hands over it and pray and bless and hope for that who would receive it, for all of those who would receive that water this day. And so they did. And for many minutes, we let people just pray for what they would have asked for if they could have poured out their wishes and their hopes and their dreams and their prayers for their own baptismal water. What would you have prayed was in the font? And so they did. And then as they were ready, one by one, they came up and they poured out that water. And they poured it back into the font. And there we blessed it and we sealed it. And then we used it to baptize him. And I had asked him how he wanted us to do that. And he said, I'm fine with sprinkling. And so we did. We poured out that water over him. And when we were finished, I took a small glass bottle that had a shell stopper on it. And the shell is the symbol of baptism. And so we took that and we filled it up with some of that holy water and we gave it to him. We presented it to him as a reminder that he had received grace abundant that day. And that all of us have been gifted to participate. Because that's number one. Sacraments are not spectator sports. Sacraments are for involvement. That's why in the United Methodist Church, they're to be done in worship. They're to be done before you. I'm not supposed to squander the baby back here so that you can't see the baby. I'm supposed to show you. I'm supposed to let you participate, to encourage you to remember your baptism and take those vows again and pledge yourselves to the ones that we baptize. Because it is going to take all of us to bestow the blessings and the grace of the church upon those like Audrey. She has a whole lifetime of learning and love, forgiveness and grace to encounter here. And I can't do that alone. We do that together. And so we make our sacraments very public and very participatory. And that day, as we blessed that 68-year-old, brand-new child of God, I was so taken aback by the response of the people, the way in which people were so intentional and profoundly prayerful over that cup of water. Last week after the baptism, we allowed you to come forward and invited you to remember your own baptism by touching that holy water in our font to be able to see how poignant that is on your faces, to watch the emotion, the gratitude, all of it washing over your faces as you come into contact with this very present element in our lives that had been transformed into the holy for a very sacred purpose. That's what a sacrament is about. It's about encountering the divine and leaving transformed. And so our second scripture today talks about Holy Communion. And while we believe that we only baptize once for the forgiveness of sins, as John was saying, only once, And we believe that even if I were to completely mess that up or any clergy colleague of mine were to completely mess that up, I don't know how you do that, miss with the water maybe, I don't know. But if you were to do that, 
that God does not make mistakes, that God still succeeds in pouring out abundant Holy Spirit on the baptized. And so that we don't need to re-baptize you because God got it right the first time. And you have been living it out if you've been baptized every day in a myriad of ways, some of which you might not even be fully cognitive of. And so as we look at communion, we give thanks that John Wesley recognized that this is a vital part of a maturing Christian, that people of all ages, all nations, all languages, there is no division at this table, that all people can come here as often as they like and receive this gift. And once more, God did something amazing with the regular pieces of the dinner table, bread and a drinking vessel, and took it and transformed it and made it once more a sign of grace, not only that we can taste the goodness of God, but that it actually becomes part of us, that we internalize it and we metabolize it, and it becomes part of who we are. It nourishes our body. It feeds our spirits. It sanctifies our souls. And this is not something that we often think about, but millions upon millions, perhaps even approaching billions of Christians now, have partaken in this meal. And do you realize that if we were to gather us all together, as we are in our ordinary human selves, that we would not be able to speak to one another because the languages would be so diverse, that our cultures would be very different, that we might not even be able to recognize anything about the other except that they were human, and yet here we are united into one. Only this table can do that. The United Nations hasn't even figured out how to do this. And long before the existence of a worldly body, that is capable of bridging barriers and language and culture and geography, Jesus figured it out and gave it to us and asked us to continue its good works. Because I don't know if you've ever been rejected. I don't know if you've ever had the unfortunate experience of being told that you weren't dressed appropriately for this restaurant or that you had failed to put in a reservation or that they just simply didn't have a space large enough to accommodate your party. But that never happens here. Here where Jesus Christ himself is our host, there is always room. And those who gather here are willing to make space for anyone who wants to come. Here there is no preference for one over another. Here all are served equally and reverently. Christ is the host. I am but the butler. We gather at the table because this is the spiritual nourishment we need to continue our lives. This holy meal will give us strength for whatever the world has to throw at us. And you could be fighting depression. You could be battling illness, confronting your own death. You might be navigating financial woes, family burdens. It does not matter what is plaguing your mind and your heart here, this meal will sustain you through anything and everything the world has to throw at you. Nothing else can do that. Only 
this gift of God's grace can give us what we need. And this is open to us whenever and however we need it. To be able to come and gather with Christ and pause in the midst of our busyness, our stress, and our worry and just eat with our Lord and Savior. Too often we don't give that the holiness that it is due. The gratitude of realizing that this is here for us. There was a child uh, that was in my last ministry named Walter, and Walter really liked communion. He had ever since he was about the age of three and could walk. And so he would come up, and the first time I gave him a piece of the bread, it was Hawaiian bread, and Walter said, more. Okay. And then I started to learn that as Walter would come forward, I would rip off a huge chunk of that bread. And I would give it to Walter. And not only did Walter kneel beside his parents and continue eating, but he ate all the way back to his seat. I'm pretty sure he was still eating by the end of the worship service. Because Walter got something that you and I sometimes forget. That this is a meal. It's not a snack. It's not a taste. It is enough. And we should enjoy. We should take that moment and just really be there present and thankful that God is giving us the strength from the inside out. Too often when we pray, we, we ask God, you know, send it to me. Give me your strength as if it's going to come this way. Do we ever stop to realize that in this sacrament, it comes out like this? It becomes part of our circulatory system. It becomes part of our very fabric of our being. You ask for grace. You ask for the strength. You ask for comfort and peace and love and anything that you need, and it is here. It is on the menu. How blessed are we? How blessed. And if you were to call any United Methodist clergy, myself included, and say, I really need communion, we would bring it to you. We would ensure that you could have it. Because this is God's gift for you, and we are but the servants. The sacraments are times in which we realize that there is nothing, no matter how mundane it may appear, that God cannot transform. God can take anything. And if God can do this with water and with a drinking vessel and with bread, just what is God going to do with us? We who have been gifted with incredible minds, bodies that can do almost anything, creativity to manifest our dreams, our imaginations, we can do incredible things. And God is using the most ordinary means to show us how extraordinary we can be. To take and eat and to remember how often do you sit and reflect upon the fact that that first night when Jesus gathered, he gathered with these disciples, and then he transformed their titles into friends. And he looked at them, and he looked at his right-hand man, Peter, and he knew that Peter was going to betray him, that Peter would deny him not once, but three times before the night was over. 
And yet he gave him the bread. And then he looked at Judas, who he knew was about to hand him over to his enemies, who he knew was going to sell him for 30 pieces of silver, and he gave him the bread. And if Jesus can look at them and know what they are going to do, Jesus is not about to deny us. There is nothing that we can do that would keep Jesus from feeding us here. In fact, it's precisely because we know who we are and what we have done, the things that we have thought and said, the things that we have done, God help us, that Jesus says, you need to come and sit and eat. Do you have a meal in your life that just makes you feel amazing? Now, for some people, it's Thanksgiving or it might be a birthday cake that somebody makes you. Well, when I was growing up right on the Potomac River in northern Virginia and into the Chesapeake Bay, my favorite meal was crab, Maryland crab, and not fancy crab either. We didn't do fancy crab. We did newspapers all over the dining room table, a blunt knife, and a whole bushel of crabs all over, and a little bit of butter. And we would eat that pretty consistently, especially in crab season, lots of that, and it didn't matter that I was going to get all of those micro cuts that were going to sting the next time I washed my hands. It didn't matter that you could eat 40 pounds of crab and still be, be hungry. It really didn't matter that your entire meal consisted of shellfish protein and some butter. It didn't matter that this was not elegant. Instead, it was about the encounter and the experience. My whole family would gather around that table and we would talk and crack crab and we would eat and laugh and tell that story about how my father has the kind of patience to put it all in one pile. He piles, he hoards it. And then he pours the butter over it and all of us want to kill him for it because we've eaten all the crabs at that point. And then he just slowly enjoys all that crab meat. We always tell that story and we always enjoy that moment and it is by far not the most elegant meal I've ever had. It is, it is by far not the painless meal I've ever had. Instead, it's about the encounter, being with my family and what it raises for me. And so when I had fled to New Jersey to, to flee from my call, and I was coming home right around Christmas time to visit, my mother said to me, what, kind, what do you want me to make for dinner? What would you like? And I said, I want crab. I want you to make crab. My mom said, are you sure? You, I mean, I can make, you know, like a ham or I can make, she's like, she's trying to change my mind. Would you like prime rib? No. I want crab. And mom, yeah? Can you use the newspaper? Can you roll out the newspaper? I don't even know that my mom appreciated the power of that meal. This is that meal. I have eaten this meal while sitting on the ground with confirmands. I have eaten this meal in brass and crystal. I have eaten this meal with the most intimate of my family. I have eaten this meal with thousands and thousands of people at graduations from Christian colleges. And I can tell you that there is no meal that I love more than this. Because here, when you look around... You are seeing your family. You are seeing the people that Jesus Christ not only died to save, but has knitted together into your family of faith.
That is what this sacrament means. And when people ask me what is so great about the United Methodist Church, I tell them, in our church, you can taste the grace of God. You can feel it. You can hear it. You can see it. But everyone is invited here to taste it and to let it become a powerful encounter with Jesus Christ. May it be so for us this day and every time thereafter. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.